Welcome to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Our show is all about the exciting world of real estate, and in particular, how it relates to the lucrative New York market. But if you're not planning a real estate transaction in New York, we still have plenty of information that you can use no matter where you are. Now, here's your host, Vince Rocco. All right. Good morning, everyone, and welcome back to the program. Happy Memorial Day to all of those who we didn't see or talk to over the weekend at this hour. Graduation season is upon us, and with that comes a wave of college graduates in need of an affordable apartment. <clears throat> While the city is lauded for its progressive jobs, it pales when it comes to availability of affordable housing for young people. Amid an affordability housing crisis, recent college grads shouldn't be surprised if finding an apartment that caters to an entry-level salary isn't easy in this town. What are the top 10 New York City re- uh, neighborhoods for recent college grads? We'll talk about it. Based on people earning less than $60,000 a year, buildings that accept guarantors, and the concentration of other rent uh, recent grads. Also at this hour, reset and recapture health in 2018 with Dane Johnson, who will be here a little later. How one man came, went from dying to thriving, uh, the truth behind his Crohn's disease, and how that how he took back his life. But first, you are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate, and I'm your host, Vince Rocco. In the news today, John Legend's Coming Home now has new meaning. The hit singer and his wife, Chrissy Teigen, who just had a son, their second child, just plunked down $9.02 million for a penthouse at 374 Broom Street in Nolita, according to City Property Records. The three-bedroom, three-bathroom unit in a, is in a building called the Brewster Carriage House where they used to live. Last December, the Post reported that the power couple toured the penthouse, which was then asking $9.5 million. So he got himself a little bit of a deal. Sources said the couple loved the neighborhood and the building, but they needed more space and they wanted to stay put. As first reported by the New York Post Academy Award-winning actress Holly Hunter has listed her handsome Fort Green brownstone for $4.5 million. According to property records, Hunter purchased the property in 2014 for $3.3 million. According to the listing description, the Italianate brownstone was built in 1864 and still has many of its original details, including five decorative fireplaces with original mantles, high ceilings, and original inlaid wood floors. Billionaire movie and music mogul David Geffen has sold his Fifth Avenue co-op to a Russian oil magnet in in a $24.5 million deal. Despite the high profiles of both sellers and buyer, the sale went down quietly in an off-market deal, according to The Observer. Both men have uh, net worths in the billions, uh, and they also have a thing for boats. This two-bedroom, 5,000-square-foot co-op all of a sudden seems rather modest. The sale of uh, 785 Fifth Avenue, 17AB marks the third major real estate deal uh, for Geffen in recent years. In 2017, he sold his Malibu compound for $85 million in an off-market deal. And last year, he also cashed in on his East Hampton estate for $63.7 million. I mean, I mean, seriously? I mean, this is like crazy money. It's out of control. A two-bedroom co-op on Fifth Avenue, 5,000 square feet? Okay, let's do it. Bruce Willis and his wife, actress Emma Hemming Willis, listed their Central Park West fronting duplex for $17.75 million in January. And as of today, the property has officially sold. This, according to the New York Post, they report that the property hit city records today with the final sale price being exactly the same as the listing price, $17.75 million. The buyer is financier Jeffrey Allen Keswin. The Willis's purchased the apartment at 271 Central Park West for $16.995 million in 2015. Unlike the San Remo penthouse that Bruce uh, once shared with his ex-wife, Demi Moore, the 271 Central Park West duplex is decidedly stayed. Well, that doesn't say sounds too stayed to me. Anyway, good morning, and how is, there, how is everybody? 
interesting. Great. So Way back from Memorial Day. Um. Yeah. What did everybody do this weekend? Why is the city so crowded? Yeah, I thought it was empty this morning. Actually. Oh my god! Downtown's a whole different story. I guess it is. Upper West was very quiet. Well, all the families are still gone. <laughs> Anybody out of town this weekend? Anna, I know you said you were in Chicago. Chicago for my best guy friend from college wedding. Wait, it's I like, thought I was your best guy friend. Not from college. That's, that's <laughs> upsetting. You just graduated. Damn it. <laughs> Good point. Good there, point. There, there are past people in all of our lives, Matthew. Isn't that right? <laughs> and it was really fun. There was a lot of old college friends and a lot of reminiscing and a lot of things I forgot about. So it was, it was nice. And no kids. And no kids as well. Why is I was babysitting them? Yeah. <laughs> We're here to this morning with Noah Kaplan from Nest Seekers International, Matthew Cohen from Core, Niall Lundgren from Compass, uh, Ari Harkoff from uh, Halstead Real Estate, and Anna Shagalov from Halstead Real Estate. So, moving right along, East Village and Greenwich Village residences are demanding that city officials only approve plans for a high-rise tech center if there are also protections put in place to prevent their neighborhood from becoming Midtown South. A 21-story commercial building at 124 East 14th Street, which is currently a PC Richard and Son appliance and electronics store, was proposed by the de Blasio administration as part of the mayor's New York Works initiative. It would include office space, education, and job training space run by Civic Hall, retail space, and a community event space, according to proposals submitted in January. Some residents fear the construction of the building deemed a tech hub would accelerate what they call the neighborhood's transformation into Midtown South or an extension of Silicon Alley, while the city uh, while the city believes it will be economically empowering for real New Yorkers, whatever that means. What is the concern with this? Crowded neighborhood. Um, just 14th Street in general mm-hmm. with the buses and the foot traffic and, you know, major subway hub there. I think um, I kind of get that. But then if you think about, you know, the Google headquarters on the west side, it didn't really change the neighborhood. So it, I don't know. It's, it's kind of tough. It's crowded, but there's if only anything, so much more the they neighbor- can do there. It made the neighborhood better, the Google headquarters. Yeah. Oh, wait, 124 is between what? It's like uh, right right Irving. 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 Yeah, it's right Irving and Third. Yeah. It's smack so. in the middle of Union Square, which is very hectic, as Anna said, a neighborhood anyway. Our offices are down in that location, and it's always very busy. But what I don't understand is, you know, when people are referring to it as Midtown South or Silicon not gonna Alley, I don't understand how no, no, that yeah. one building will require a rezoning for, for, for that. But, I mean, I think there's a, there's a good amount of tech, you know, uh, office space down there already. You got Facebook that's on, um, you know, Astor Place. That's a big. That's a big spot where a lot of tech is happening. And yeah, 14th Street could be a bridge, but that's not going to stop the 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 progress from happening. But what is the real concern, though? I mean, because what happens inside of a building in a commercial? We're talking commercial right now. So inside of a commercial building, it could be a tech hub. It could be anything. What I mean, how does that? Or why would people in the neighborhood be fearful of something becoming too techy or too, you know, whatever? I mean, it's inside. It's 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 off the street, so to speak. And behind closed doors, it's not like you're building a glass tower, which you really can't build in that. New Yorkers are afraid of anything they don't already know. Always. So it's it's the fear of what it could be. And once it's there and once it's fine, everyone will forget about it. But everyone always fears what they don't know. But I think your point of people getting nervous about it being too crowded. It's already an area that I think has a lot of foot traffic, but... First of all, Silicon Alley—that's that's cute. Who thought of that? That's a good. That's a good thing. 
Sorry, just saying. But it's it's oh really? Oh well, <laughs> I went on the rock. Just graduated yesterday. <laughs> still still working it out. Um, across the street is NYU dorms, so that that could be very interesting for NYU students and internships and whatnot. I actually think it could be really good for the neighborhood. Just might well, add I, I more traffic. It might add more traffic of urban place, which is you know sort of. Well, again, that neighborhood is, is already and, overrun with too many right. cars and too many, you know, well, too many, you know, uh, people walking. But uh, in any event, I just think that, you know, I agree with what you guys said before, but the Google headquarters a little further west. And I don't think that harmed the neighborhood at all. In fact, it probably has enhanced the neighborhood and certainly brought a lot of jobs to um, to the area. Moving on, a Manhattan Supreme Court judge has ruled that the condo building at 200 Riverside Boulevard can remove the Trump name from its facade, reports the New York Post. The condo board at 200 Riverside Boulevard... Uh, has been trying to rid the building of the Trump name for a while, but earlier this year it was revealed that the Trump Organization was pushing back against the name removal and had moved forward with legal action. While the Trump Organization doesn't own the building, it does manage it, manage it, and the Trump Palace uh, place rather name on its front of the building is part of the licensing agreement for which the organization received no money. So my question is, so what's in a name? I'll tell you something. <laughs> I've had a listing. I've had a gorgeous two bed. Well, it's not gorgeous, but it's a two bedroom. No, I mean it needs work. They know it needs work, but it's got all all, all river frontage, and it has like major potential. And we priced it really well. And in that building on the thirty seventh floor, it took me a year to sell it because of that name. And the interesting thing is that the only people that came to look at it were foreign buyers. I That's have true. the same sim- uh, same situation. We're but on now, the market. Now I'm in contract. About five. Ooh. I know you are. Uh, mazel tov, as I say. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I have a similar situation. I've got. I'm on the market. Almost six months now. We've taken it on. We've taken it off. Put it back on again. Lower the price. I don't even get phone calls to show the listing. It's amazing. It faces the water. It's magnificent. It's a one bedroom, but it's a highly priced one bedroom, and I think it's now priced properly. Not even a phone call. Not even a web inquiry. Mm-hmm. Nothing. Another listing at 120, and it's um, it's a similar thing. It's a, that means we're finally getting some activity on it. Yeah. But yep. I mean, it's it's such. So a- my question is, and not that I want to beat up on a name, uh, but my question is uh, because we're neutral here at Morning New York. No, I don't. Uh, but but so what do people who live in these buildings do? I mean, you know, quite frankly, you know, we joke about it, we we get irritated about it, but I mean, these are people's lives, and these are people's apartments, and these are people's homes, and so there is sometimes a need that you have to sell something, you know, uh, and if you can't, and 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 it quick time frame in this town because of a situation like this what goes on what happens i mean i don't think we've ever experienced this before by the way so i mean i've had a listing at 200 and a listing at 220 and we had similar experiences to you guys i mean i think at the end of the day there's a price where everything sells so eventually you have to drop the price um i can't divulge you know I can't divulge internal details, but I can tell you that the boards in these buildings have been having a lot of conversations around the name and the management and what have you, and they've conducted internal polls, and the polls are actually very divided. And it's not divided politically, it's divided based on the quality of the management, the cost associated with taking the name down, the cost associated with legal, the bad press, uh, you know, long-standing issues in the buildings, but it's not a clear-cut, like, everybody wants it off, everybody, you know, likes Trump, or they don't like Trump. There's a lot more nuance to it. Um, but we've had issues, and, yeah. But, Ari, let me ask you something. So, <clears throat> what you just said sounds right, uh, but, but so, in those statistics, in that analysis, are they mm-hmm. finding that the buildings managed by the Trump organization are managed well, or mm-hmm. do they have issues yeah, with people that? people like management. 
So that's one of the issues. So the people in the buildings who have lived there for many years like the quality of the management. They like the people that are involved in the management and they don't want to rock the boat. And they're concerned that this is going to cost us hundreds of thousands of dollars in legal fees and turnover and loss of staff in bad PR, so on and so forth. So you get more or less a 50-50 split on the internal polls in these buildings. Yeah, and I mean, I've done some sales at 120 and 220 in the Heritage, and I, That's where mine is I've had a similar experience to what Ari was saying. Like, I think that people actually don't, obviously Trump has a bad reputation right now, but he didn't always. I mean, right. as, as a person that grew up in Lincoln Towers, on the social, personal side, I think he ruined that neighborhood. But then on a real estate side, I think he made that neighborhood great also. I mean, he brought m- tons of jobs to the economy, and he brought great residences for people. So I think that people still actually like Trump for what he was and what he made. Right. You grew up in Lincoln Towers? Me too. I totally forgot. I I grew up there as well. The people that currently live there and invested there, they're they're passionate about it. They still believe in it. They are. All right, we have to leave it there. Take a break. Come right back after these messages. This is Good Morning New York on the Voice America Variety Channel. Don't go away. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll free in North America at 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Now, back to the show. Everybody, we are back with Noah, Matt, uh, Niall, Phil, Ari, and Anna. Well, not Phil. He's not here yet. Uh, anyway, so I wanted to ask Noah, $1,000 listing, your new project that you are filming uh, today and, and over the next couple of weeks. There's a little bit of a backstory to it, a little bit of a future story to it. Tell us a little bit about what million dollar, I'm sorry, $1,000 listing is. Okay, so $1,000 Listing is a show about real people renting real apartments and rooms in New York City, um, at least as far as it is now. And uh, we basically just go around and tell it like it is. Um, And 
uh, it's funny because in New York, uh, what you can get for a thousand dollars a month or less or or more is uh, sometimes pretty interesting. Um, and and yeah. So is this the premise of the show? The premise of the show is rental only, small rentals, rooms, smaller apartments, price point at all. Yeah, we're we're there to document, you know, artists and people coming up in the world, um, just having moved to the city. Uh, people with uh, you know everyday jobs that are looking for everyday rental situations. And what is your job on camera? My job You're is to expose. Well, my job is to pr- just to shine a light on what's going on. Um, and these people don't don't get much uh, portrayal in uh in in you know where do we watch this so we watch this right now it's on youtube and i'm gonna st- I might have some instagram stories because that's taken off um so yeah something like that uh you're currently in production and when are you officially like going to start airing these um i guess digital episodes look for it in the end of june okay perfect mid to end june are you going to be on the show matthew I, I'm not, yes. but it's a great show. Yes, I, I will speak for no. It's okay. a great show. Watch okay. it. Thank you so much. All right, so moving on. When a co-op on 34th Street uh, of a ritzy Upper East Side building sold last year, the price was recorded as $3 million, but actually it cost closer to $2.8 million. At closing, the buyer of the three-bedroom co-op at 425 East 58th Street received a credit of $150,000. The buyer and seller at the behest of the co-op board cut a deal to keep the technical sale price in line with the expected value of similar units in the building, though the contract detailed this arrangement. Public records only reflect the higher price. This trick is particularly rampant in new development sphere, which I have witnessed for many, many years, where buyers have their pickup price cuts and concessions only in certain markets. Let's underscore that. In new projects, such perks are often um, offered building-wide as a way to maintain high prices per square foot. For older co-op buildings, the practice is a bit more nuanced. So what are your thoughts on this? I mean, I, I, I have seen this trend in new developments for many years, uh, but now it seems to be out there in the resale marketplace and also in co-ops. And I guess it's to protect the the almighty selling price of units in a building, et cetera, et cetera. So what are your thoughts? Have you seen anything like this in your travails? So, I mean, I wanted to add a couple of things. So first off, there's a difference between a finance deal and a cash deal. So if you have this scenario in a finance deal, the maximum concession you can give is 6% with most major banks. So, you know, your $3 million purchase, you can give them $180,000 off in a concession. That's the max you can do. With a cash deal, it's sort of like the sky's the limit and people do all kinds of crazy things. We had a deal a number of years ago in a co-op in Greenwich Village. The purchase price was 1.6. It had been on the market for a long time, the New York Times, so on and so forth. And the board president had a similar unit to the one we were selling and was unhappy with the sales price and essentially had us price it at 1.8 and give a $200,000 concession to the buyer. And that was the only way the board was going to approve the deal. Now, obviously, none of this ever went in writing. We don't have any you know, sort of documentation for this, but this happens. And it's essentially price fixing. And I mean, it's borderline fraud, if you even want to call it that. And it's bad for the market. It's bad for you know, transparency, but it happens. And on cash deals, you can do it as much as you want. You, you you can, but you know when the market changes up up or down. You know buildings have to be under, understand that you know if if you got a hundred thousand dollars for an apartment last year, you can only get sixty this year. That is what it is, right? So price fixing really is not a not a good way to go. Nope. And the reality is, you're not really paying a hundred thousand dollars. You're going to pay less anyway. You're just going to fix it to make it look good. So I wonder sometimes how this is going to go down for future. 
uh, when um, you really can't get away with with stuff like that. In new development, there are all kinds of angles, you know, with transfer taxes picked up by the sponsor because the buyer is supposed to pay them, et cetera, et cetera. Legal fees, uh, in some cases you can reduce the price, but technically you can't because then you have to file an amendment. So there are all kinds of things that go on. Storage units, parking yeah. spaces. Correct, absolutely. I can't tell you how many storage units I gave away in the past. <laughs> well, exactly. <laughs> just, to make, just to make deals go through, and it's really true when you think about it. When I heard this story, I thought of, you know, looking back at new development sales in two years, like looking back at now when the market's transitioning, I think there will be a lot of um, just fluctuation between prices in an, in a building that was ending or, or near completion. I think it'll be very interesting to look back because instead of the typical like 10 to 20,000 per four, I think you're going to see like 50 to 100,000 per four because people were getting more closing costs taken off. I think this point is also very important to understand that what you see on the internet is not always like the truth. You know, Amen. just because it's on the internet, that's the truth. Just because it's on Street Easy, uh, that's the truth. We, you know, this is a perfect example of how so many things can happen behind the scenes that we don't know about or the public doesn't know about. I and mean, agents have the ability to to coach their clients up and say, hey, look, there could be X, Y, or Z going on in the background. We don't know, and we could do some investigating, speak to management companies or you know connections that we have with folks on the board to understand what's really going on. And that's critical. That's really important now in, in the internet age to understand that not everything that you see is actually what Well, that's another is. plug for working with really good skilled real estate agents because there is a lot of information on the internet that we would hope is is accurate and it is actually not accurate especially in some of these sites yeah, that I, one more point list. about that I had, a, I had an open house yesterday and it, the minimum financing you have to put down you have to do 75% financing or 25% down and the, the guy was like oh I think it said 20% on street easy I'm like well you know that's I, I'm, on my listing it says 25% but he said that it was like a building thing and I'm like well you know that's not true it's 25% down. That's what we have no, to do. No, my favorite are when brokers come to me and they're like, well, OLR said this. Yeah. And I was like, OLR is very inconsistent. You might want to check again. <laughs> I mean, like, not to be really harsh, but yeah. I mean. Additional, and in addition to that, it's inconsistent in, and it's usually um, based inaccurate. on what buyer uh, uh, agent's input is. So if the agent does not update, does not put the accurate information in the system, it goes all over the place incorrectly. It's and like that's the Wikipedia really a bad thing. real estate. <laughs> well, you know, Street Easy, the same thing. You put it into your system in your company, and then it goes, it gets fed out all over the place. But if you put wrong information in, wrong information gets fed out. So you got to be really careful when you have a listing. And by the way, legally, I've seen people have issues with commissions, okay? If it goes out incorrectly and a broker says, well, you said it's 6%, but it's really 5%, sorry, it's 6%. So you got to be very careful with information going out there. We talk a lot about pricing on this program. I understand it. And the reason we do it is because people ask me about it almost daily. And what I want to ask you guys today is, um, first of all, I saw an open house uh, report from Halstead. I think it was last week. 21, and, I, and I'm just trying to pull this out of memory, 21 open houses had zero attendance. So to me, that is a statement as to where we are in the marketplace today, May 2018. 21 open houses. Now, I don't know about this past weekend. I think this was last weekend uh, going into the holiday. Are you seeing in your open houses good traffic or not? Now, last weekend, when this statistic was was registered, I had one open house and I had no one come. In a two-hour period, new development, zero attendees. And my stuff doesn't get recorded on this report because it's new development, but... I can share in the drama of no one showing up. 
where are where are we with this, and what are you seeing with this? Mm, drama? No, no, no. Um, I well, drama to the cell. I, I, <laughs> I think it's also uh, a telltale sign of where we're at in the market. The fact that a lot of people were doing open houses two days ago on this Sunday of Memorial Day weekend. I mean, in the past like three or four years, I've always found that on holiday weekends, maybe like under ten percent of brokers will do open houses. And this weekend I saw a good, like 50% of people doing open houses, which I mean, good on those people trying to make things happen. I don't believe in open houses during, you know, holiday weekends, but that's just me. No, I don't either. But I got to tell you something, um, you know, wise people have told me through the years that, you know, the people who do come out on open house <laughs> holiday weekends are really more serious than exactly not, you're not going to get the I tire. I an open house, got four people to come. Uh, I'm not saying everybody was was super serious, but I think one person who came could potentially be the be the buyer. Yeah, I think we all have we all have stories where we've sold apartments on Christmas Eve, on you know about Passover, on Easter. I mean, you you name the holiday, we've sold apart. I mean, I certainly have with the days leading up to. So, you know, if if you're a serious buyer and you're out there. And if it's the only weekend you have to look out for apartments, that's it. So before we end this segment, where, so again, with pricing, so where are we with pricing right now? How are we doing with pricing? I mean, we've gone up and down. Um, Ari said something a little earlier that, you know, if you're priced right, you know, at some point it mm-hmm. will sell. So will how sell. are we doing right now with, with telling our sellers that the market is such and we need to be where we need to be from a price perspective. Well, I think that you need to be on a certain level with your sellers that they can trust you and understand that you come from experience and you know what you're talking about. If you if you even try to be aggressive in this market, it's it's going to hurt and you're going to end up negotiating further than you would have if you priced properly. I told a seller just this, this weekend who called me, I said, no, we're not going on the market because he wants a certain price. And I said, we're not going to be able to get it. As you just said, you can't be aggressive in this type of market. You're going to run people mm-hmm. out the door. We're not going on the market. And, that, and that's two examples I can give you personally in, in probably two weeks. We have, we, I'm sorry, no, um, we, have, we have two listings <clears throat> that we priced carefully, very carefully. And it took a little I while like to get the, carefully. well, mm-hmm. it took a little while to get it moving. But at the end of the day, one of them, we had seven offers. Um, we didn't get over asked, but it's it's like an estate needs a lot of work. But we got a, a number that we're very proud of, and um, another one we're negotiating now. And I've got two backups, and these are one is on the Upper East Side, one is in the East Village. We have another listing in Tribeca that we can get a person to walk through the door. Um, so I mean, and and I'm pretty price sensitive, so I, I think we're priced properly everywhere. It's just, you know, buyers are different in different locations. I think one of the challenges we have with our sellers is getting them ahead of the market. So you talk about the open house, you know, and open house numbers, those are leading indicators. You know, you talk about leading and lagging indicators, you know, the number of people that are coming to open houses, that's a leading indicator for what's coming down the pike in the market. If you have a lot of people coming to open houses, chances are, you know, it's the law of of numbers. Someone's going to start making offers. The market's going to go up. Our numbers, if you look at the open house numbers are actually going down. So as sellers, we have to get ahead of what is clearly a softening market. And it's a very difficult thing to do psychologically. I'm sure you guys have this every day. My neighbor sold for X. You're telling me I'm going to get X minus five or 10%. I don't want to do that. I want to do X plus five or 10%. We're also running into another issue with a lot of our clients. So if you look at his, you know, if you look at New York city pricing from about 2014 till now, we're basically flat to down and anyone who bought in the last two or three years is now taking a haircut. And if you factor in closing costs, it's actually a big haircut. I was on the phone with a, a client of mine this Friday and 
you're running the numbers, he's going to take like a million dollar loss in a two year period. I mean, it's horrific. I haven't seen anything like this in years. And it's sort of like, I guess you should rent it. I don't know what to tell you because I can't honestly advise you to take a million dollar loss. I think no, I think right. that's I think that's a situation a lot of us are in, and the same in my my particular case. And it's like you're going to lose, mm-hmm. you know, you're going to you're going to sell less. You don't than have what you to pay. sell. Don't sell. He doesn't. He and doesn't. I think it's it's, in that particular it's really hard right now with justification, just like justifying what this situation is, because I think that in certain ways, um, it's just like I'm I'm trying to think of an example here, but the best example that I can think of is that you know, sellers have a certain mindset and then buyers have a certain mindset. And because we're in a transition phase, you don't have one or the other that's completely set. So it's hard when people are not on, you know, when a situation is not on one side or the other and it's kind of in between. And so where I go off of this is that, you know, you kind of have to bring it down to basics and go into details of what's going on in the market. Like I know for my buyers that I represent right now, it's a great thing with the 10-year treasury and how that was at the highest, you know, in, in the last two weeks and it went above 3%. So the fact that it's now gone a little bit below 3%, that's bringing down interest rates. It's a great thing. But then on the other hand, your sellers get word of that and they think that's a really good thing for them as well. Right. So it's we, putting we, it all in perspective. All right. We have to go. We're live from Blastar Productions. Here in New York City, this is Good Morning New York. We'll continue right after this break. Don't go away. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com American Heroes Network is a program for and about our American veteran heroes and their families. Join host Gary Ray as he shows what is being done to help our veterans and showcase the companies and organizations that are helping our veterans and their families rebuild their lives. Listen for American Heroes Network, live and powered by the Voice America Variety Channel, every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single-day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 
Now, back to the show. Anna Kaplan from Nest Seekers International, Matthew Cohen from CORE, Niall Lundgren from Compass, Phil Horrigan from LeaseBreak.com and Freely, Ari Harkov from Halstead Real Estate, and Anna Shagalov from Halstead Real Estate. So graduation session uh, season is upon us, and with that comes a wave of college graduates in need of an affordable apartment to rent. While the city is lauded for its prospective jobs, it pales when it comes to the availability of affordable housing. Amid a a housing crisis, recent college uh, grads shouldn't be surprised if finding an apartment in New York City uh, is that that easy. What are the top 10 New York City neighborhoods for where they are finding these apartments? So one of the things that kind of surprised me when I'm looking at the statistics is the number one location is Morningside Heights. Comments on that. Morningside Heights is the 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 I guess the cheapest, or where there are more affordable apartments for young, uh, recent college grads to rent in this city. I used to live on 113th Street <laughs> on on the border of Morningside Heights in Harlem, and I I can say firsthand that there is a lot of really affordable housing along just further west and north of Columbia, um, as well as that there are a lot of streets like LaSalle that are part of Morningside Heights that people don't think of when they think of Morningside Heights. Um, they think of Broadway. They think of, you know, Columbia, the beautiful, beautiful co-ops. Um, there are these streets like LaSalle that have low-income housing and middle-income housing um, that I think, unfortunately, are in that um, in that assessment. So I I think there's a big just... Number two was mixture. <laughs> Bed-Stuy in Brooklyn. Number two neighborhood. That one I can almost understand. Right. What are you seeing, Noah? Well, I'm also seeing um, actually uh, recently Facebook just um, added this rentals as part of the marketplace. And now instead of going to Craigslist, if you're a recent college grad, you're looking to save money on renting a room. You can go straight to Facebook and you can geotag like they have it geotagged or whatnot. So you can actually go to a map and find all the rooms for rent under thousand dollars. Facebook is now in the rental business. Yes. Isn't that yeah, something? Now, now, uh, now, uh, no, 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 no words. Listings no words. from zero. Are you really surprised? Are, are, though? I mean, no words. Yeah. Are you really surprised? surprised? I'm not really surprised, yeah. but you know what? I'm pissed off. Yeah. <laughs> Why? I'm not surprised Google doesn't have something. Like, I'm shocked they don't Still have it. For I'm sure they're working on it. Yeah. Why does the local probably. hair, uh, the hair cutting place, barbershop, have real estate listings in the window? I mean, give me a break. Look, Come on. Stop. Wait, we're, living, we're, living, we're living in a startup <laughs> so. gold rush right now where data is key. And once you have, or king rather, once you have that, once you have, uh, Freelay, or once you have you know something like that, you can you can do a lot with it. But they're eating his lunch, by the way. That, that, I mean, that's just wrong. Well, that's right. And number, so we should n- ramp that up. Number three is the financial district. Oh, that no. one surprised me because <laughs> oh anything God, about no. the financial district is expensive. So how could that be the number uh, three easiest place for young college grads to rent? Well, it's all basically because it's it's dominated by shares, and you yeah. you, know, you could flex all the walls. So you rent a one bed for three thousand, put a wall up, make it a two bed. Each person pays fifteen hundred bucks. That's the fight. They still allow shares and, down and, there. And, and so the wall, the wall scenario in shares is legal again and back? I don't know. It's case by case. Also, yeah, yeah, I don't, is, I don't know if legality really comes into play. It's never, been, it's never been like illegal. It's just that there are now... Well, it was against fire codes. So right. well, well, no, right. well, no, but there are just very specific rules you have to follow. And a lot of landlords just said, I'm, right. I'm not even getting involved in this, right. you know? It's just like the Airbnb thing where a lot of landlords said, I'm not even getting involved in anything under 12 months because it's just too risky or especially under 30 days. 
So yeah, but anyway, all my friends who are younger than me, I know, shocking. Um, they <laughs> they moved, they got kicked out of Alphabet City because it was too expensive, and they moved down to Financial District, and they all make like one bedrooms into four bedrooms, and and two bedrooms into yeah. six bedrooms. Like it's a it's a when wild I graduated, thing. it was the Upper East Side, yes, like way ab- east. Absolutely. Now that's Yorkville, changing. all the way up in the eighties and nineties. Yeah. I got out of there as soon as I could. Is me Murray too. Hill so Hill so Murray Hill. And Murray Hill I have still, to yeah. since we're since we're off the record on the air. I was Murray Hill, <laughs> Murray Hill is a lot of tri-state wealthy kids that yes, all share that real two bedrooms, yeah. and they are not well. That's, cheap. Yeah, that's they need that's they need now. full service buildings. But what Anna's yeah. referring to way back when that's not. Right, yeah, I'm talking about tenements on like 81st and First. Correct. Five, 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 floor, five floor walk-ups. Oversized I mean, screen. unbelievable. Okay, Murray Hill is an example of a neighborhood that used to allow shares and then really cracked down after the fire code. So I remember when I started in the business what, 14 years ago? I mean, that's where you went for shares. All those buildings allowed shares, and then a lot of them now do not allow shares. And they have, I mean, the line sorry. of clothes on the floor was they, the line of demarcation yeah. for certain rooms, right? Don't yeah. cross over that line. That's where you go. There's sorry, wonderful no, okay. bars in the neighborhood as well, you know, yes. with an assortment of you know Absolutely. different ring specials and, and different <laughs> kinds of beer on tap, and so obviously it's great. Hotel just came off a Memorial Day weekend, right? <laughs> wings, wings, hot special. wings, beer. <laughs> Right? Perfect. Yeah, All right, number four, number four and five, <laughs> so Bushwick and Clinton that. Hill, again, in Brooklyn. <laughs> Bushwick and Clinton Hill. I can see it. I can understand it. These are neighborhoods on the rise. So right now, the rents are low. Midtown South and Midtown West. Okay? So Midtown West, I happen to know, is not cheap. Um, where are they going in Midtown West? Well, Hell's Midtown Kitchen. South. Hell's Kitchen has a lot of walk-ups that are cheap, but also the new so Hell's Kitchen, anymore. I'm putting air quotes up because I think it's ridiculous. Um, the new Hell's Kitchen is in like the high 30s. And I just don't get it. Well, Sorry, that's, that's, that's all I was that's saying. Midtown I just don't really. <laughs> I was driving in a, ca- in a cab last night. Um, I'm not willing to drop that, that line it's down so to desolate. the 30s. It, yeah, HK no. is not in the 30s. It's Midtown West. Like, that's Penn Station. Right. You live in Penn Station. Gramercy Park comes in number <laughs> Some eight. Do. Gramercy don't Park. Now, come on now. Gramercy <laughs> Park is not cheap. Yeah. Okay. Gramercy Park is on our list. Number eight. No way. Well, what, what about well, Far the, East? The East, East. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Far that's East true. is not even. But well, that's not Gramercy Park. But it's not that's Gramercy not Park. That's right. The hospital. Bellevue. Is that what Bellevue is? Yeah, but that's not Gramercy Park. Yeah, I heard Gramercy Park. People always lines of Gramercy It's I mean, technically, I guess it is if you were to look at a map, but it's not what you think of when you think Gramercy Park. It wasn't me, I'll tell you that. I think it was Facebook. I don't know who made. I don't even want to touch that one. Anyway, so Astoria is number nine and Gowanus is number ten. So again, Gowanus, I understand Astoria, not really. It's I do understand forever. Astoria. I think it's it's been around forever, which is why I'm surprised it's number nine. Yeah. Um, I actually thought it would be higher up on the list. Um, I, I, it sounds to me like tons of of post grads are going there. Lots of actors. <laughs> Lots of seriously, actors. it's really? like all actors in Astoria. But yeah. you're also every neighborhood Food. you stated I is. Every, I was there yesterday having no brunch. No, no joke. <laughs> I was in Astoria yesterday having brunch. There's new Food spots coming in. It's great. Astoria is really fantastic. Good. It really is fantastic. But I was surprised that it comes in at number nine as well. I mean, I just didn't, you know. But wait, every neighborhood you mentioned is a big neighborhood that has a very nice part and a part a little further out that's yeah. very cheap. Yeah, I think it's going towards that. Like everyone. Very good point, Matt Cohen. Ooh, Anna Shagalov, thank you. <laughs> okay. I'm sorry, moving on. So the New York Times here's another here's another neighborhood. So the New York Times reports think Canal Street and the following sights and sounds likely spring to mind shrink wrap counterfeit purses displayed on a blanket ready to be rolled and stowed in a flash. You want to buy a Louis Vuitton, a knockoff Louis Vuitton, right? There's where you're gonna go. Uh, now clear 
some space in that mental image and insert a high-end luxury goods store and a high-end hip jewelry boutique. Replace some of the tourists with Brooklyn hipsters uh, who also wear fanny packs, whatever. And there you have it. If Canal Street's newest neighbors are any indication, this is a picture of its future. I think people initially were afraid of uh, uh, Canal Street for a long time, and now they're recognizing there are just so many advantages to the area. So honestly, I have to tell you something. I've always thought of Canal Street as being... Too busy, too crazy, to a lot of things. So, but again, with all of this, you know, gentrification and all of this movement to find new areas and places to be, Canal Street seems to be the place to be. What's up with that? Well, I live just east of where Canal Street ends. And if you go to Canal on the very eastern border of it and start migrating west, it's actually really cool. There's some really cool diners and shops and art galleries. And um, if you think about it, Canal Street is the one street that divides two of the hottest neighborhoods in the city. So at some point, it's got to migrate. I mean, Soho and Tribeca and, you know, and now the Lower East Side. Side, I mean. But do you see, though, that some of these knockoff, you know, jewelry places and and luggage places and, like I said, Louis Vuitton knockoffs, but, you know, which was always a staple of that area. Do you see those places literally leaving completely because all of a sudden, you know, maybe, maybe I've lived, I've well, lived the down there. Can't afford money and they can't afford it. I've lived down there for seven years. And if, if you live in any neighborhood for a long time, you get to see the changes on a, like a Hi, real Niles, basis. my neighbor. Yeah. We actually live yeah. like a block or two away, but I used to live uh, closer to Mulberry street and canal. Yeah. And I lived there for about five or six years. Um, and you'll notice that right on canal street, there's, there's a lot of buildings that are trading hands. Um, and you get like these private equity real estate companies that are coming in and, and buying them. They're kicking out. You know, there was this one. Uh, you know, the Starbucks right on Center in Canal, right there, right in the building right next to it on the west side. Um, that was like a guy who sold belts, like a relatively homeless guy who was just living out of the the like the the door there. Relatively, he would say. Yeah, I, mean, I think he kind of lived in everything the, is in relative. The yeah. <laughs> he, yeah, he would come out and sell belts. Slightly that insane. That building sold. Um, the whole building is now under transformation, but that was like a little dead corner where like all kinds of shady stuff was going on. And now with that building going, they're, they're changing the retail out. That guy's gone. You know, all you, you're seeing the, 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 the fake handbags moving and, and, and pushing away. So you could see the changes. It's, it's happening for sure. Well, it's, it's definitely, cool. I mean, from Nyla and I, dip. from our, from our perspective, I mean, we're there, we're literally seeing it every yeah. single day and it's like. I'm psyched yeah, it's, for it's Canal happening. Street transformation. Yeah, it's really it's definitely well, you guys are no, talking, I, I, you guys are talking about East Side. How about West Side? I think West Side's also transforming, like with Hudson Square and yeah. everything on Renwick and Dog Pound is there. Like, yeah. there's a lot. Oh, of yeah, Ryan, like Ryan goes to Dog Pound. Ryan what? goes to Dog Pound. My boss. But I'm the sure West Side, but the West Side of Canal after after Sixth Avenue has really not <laughs> never been an issue. But 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 here but here's my my two cents in the in the last minute that we have here on on this whole thing. It's like I get the transformation or the need to transform Canal Street and and whatever else is left in this town. However, there's something to be said for a few neighborhoods remaining what they used to be or what they currently are because you know there's that little gritty seedy aspect of some sections of New York that are almost acceptable. It's what we side. What's what? <laughs> it's what we fall in love with love when it. we come to this town. You know, now it's glass towers. Now it's all the mom and pops getting knocked down. You know, I get it. And I understand, you know, that, you know, transformation is needed and, and so on and so forth. But my God, you know, it's like leave something alone. But we got to take a break. We're live from Blast Off Productions here in New York City. This is Good Morning New York. We'll come right back after these messages. Don't go away.
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com It's not easy to make it big in New York City. It's even harder to sustain that success for decades. However, two teams have defied those odds due to their formulas for success. Both have all-star rosters performing at the top of their game. Each have an undying commitment to greatness, a willingness to evolve, superior training programs, and ownership that invests heavily in their products. It only seemed natural for the world's most valuable sports brand to partner with Halstead, a market leader in the New York metro area, and now proudly serving as the official luxury real estate firm of the New York Yankees. The Voice America Live Events Channel is here now to showcase your corporate, individual, or organization's live event. Visit voiceamerica.com forward slash live events to see all of our past live events and find out more. Whether it's a multi-day conference, special speaker, or single day event, we've got everything to make your event a success. We can do a few hours or a few days. For more information about taking your event to the next level, call Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or email info at voiceamerica.com. Again, that's Jeff Spinard at 480-294-6417 or send us an email to info at voiceamerica.com. Voice America is where you are and where you want to be. Join us around the globe as we broadcast live from some of the most interesting events available. Don't forget to view all our live events, including on-demand access to past events that you may have missed by visiting voiceamerica.com forward slash live events. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. If you want to call into the program, we're toll-free in North America at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. That's Bill, Ari, Anna, and Niall, and we're talking now shareholders who wish to make any changes to their units must ask permission of the co-op board of directors through an alteration agreement. So we're talking about co-op owners and wanting to do work in your apartment. Everybody thinks that they own their space. In fact, they don't. You're a shareholder in the entire building, which is the corporation. But you do have some leeway. But when you want to do work, you have to turn in an alteration agreement. So what is usually included in this agreement? And one of the things I'll I'll point out to uh, everybody is when you buy an apartment and it's a need, an obvious need of renovation, one of the things you don't want to do is turn in an alteration agreement with your initial board package, okay? Because that can turn into catastrophe and turn down and drama. If Matt wants to use the word drama, I mean beyond. But I have had people insist that they do so, and it always turns out terrible. So get approved first, then come back and say, okay, this is what I need to do. So what goes into this alteration agreement when you decide you're going to renovate either a major renovation or a minor renovation? What goes into it? Dry, structural issues, um, or structural beams and columns. Number one. In the simplest terms, it's what guidelines you have to follow as a buyer if you're going to be doing work in the building. 
Well, you want like an actual definition. Well, scope, of work, that, scope of work is, is definitely Thanks, uh, in need of, you know, uh, architect and, and contractor's scope of work to present to the board to say, hey, I'm doing all of this work or I'm doing a little bit of work or I'm got renovating whatever. So scope of work is a good place to start, right? Yes. I mean, one of the things that we always counsel with our buyers, to your point about, you know, not delivering an alteration package, all the time we get buyers, they look at an apartment that they need, needs work and their thing is, okay, I don't want to buy this unless I know I can do X. And the answer to that is you shouldn't be buying a co-op because we can't guarantee that you can't can do anything. And even if it meets code, and even if your architect says no problem, we can do it, you may not be able to do it. So it may not be a whatever dry issue, it may even be a structural issue, maybe that the board doesn't like this or, you know, the board has not gotten up to speed on allowing washer dryers and units, even though the plumbing can, in fact, support it and other kinds of issues. Yeah, so and there's no guarantee that you can do anything. Yeah, another thing, that, another thing <clears throat> to consider is that if there are a number of renovations happening in the building, yours could be pushed back by six months to a year. Yeah. So yeah. that's that, that's something that. that's very, very, very true. And that actually happened mm-hmm. to one of my buyers. They had to wait a year because mm-hmm. there was, I think, three renovations before them, two currently underway, and one was about to start. So in fairness to the rest of the people who live in the building, you don't want to have multiple apartments under construction with all that noise, you know, all day long. I get it. I would say that is uh, one of the things I learned as an agent. And if you're a, if you're a savvy buyer or a savvy buyer's agent, you ask for the alteration plan or agreement pretty early on in the process because a lot, and this is before you even go into contract, because sometimes there are things on there, for example, they may say you can't do work during the summer even. You can't do work during certain hours. There are defined times, yeah. There are certain fees you have to pay. If you're not finished with your work within three months, there's like a daily fee you have to pay. There's like all these different rules. And like you said, maybe only two renovations could go on at the same time. I mean, these things could dramatically, dramatically affect the way and when you move into your apartment, the way you're going to do the renovation and the, and when you're going to live and move into the apartment. But what I already said before is, it, and one of the things he said is very true, you know, buyers can sometimes get scared off because they want to know before they purchase an apartment, can I do X or I really need to do Y? And I just want to know, just, just a quick, you know, run by the board if they'll allow this to happen. And I say the same thing as he just said before. Well, you know what? You really can't ask them ahead of time if you can do this kind of stuff assume that you can do i'd say 80 percent of it just to be safe but be prepared if they say no so with that said you either go forward and purchase or you decide to buy a condo you have to be or okay with the worst up. case scenario and then yeah. anything from there is bonus absolutely one of the other things too you know you need to give notice to the people in the building it's in a formal way that you give notice to people in the building uh, about what type of type of work is going to be performed how long, there's always a time structure, and there's always usually a cutoff, four, four or five o'clock uh, in the afternoon, certainly not on Saturday and Sunday, and as Phil said before, you can't always work throughout the summer. So what does that do to people who really buy a place that's a wreck, really need to move into it, but are constrained by all of these rules about renovation? What do they do? Well, it depends on how special the place is, how much they want it, and they're just going to have to deal. I mean, co-op, we're in a co-op culture. It's, it's the same about managing your client's expectation about everything else. You just have to manage their expectation about what they're going to incur. Like if they have a time frame, they should get rid of that time frame. They should lock themselves into leases because, you know, the DOB takes a long time. The board might take a long time. You know, city might take a long time. Your architect might take a long time. With what Ari and Phil said, you know, depending on the scope of the work, 
Um, there's some easy ways I always think to do research. Like if you're trying to do some major things, maybe don't buy in a pre-war building where walls are super thick and things are very um, cement driven. Whereas, you know, like the Jensen Lewis building, Jensen Lewis building. Is that Lewis yours? Steel building? Lewis, thank you. Sorry. No, I'm thinking Jensen Lewis building in Good. Chelsea. <laughs> like something like that. Like that is post-war. It has great framework to really bust things out. Like I, it's easy ways to do I that. once owned a co-op in a, 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 a studio in a co-op on the Upper East Side. And the, the one above me went on the market for sale. And I was thinking about selling and maybe buying a one-bedroom, a much larger apartment. And then I thought, well, maybe I will take this apartment and make a duplex out of it. <clears throat> How Louise of you. Well, would it, well, it would have been a nice, it was a nice <laughs> thought. In, in those worst days, I was worst. into duplexes and I wanted a staircase, whatever. And then the architect and the contractor and the building people, whatever, came and said, well, you know, these are like nine and a half foot ceilings. So you're going to have a very long staircase. And by the way, this is all cement up here. So to cut through that, you're talking months and months worth of work. Well, guess who talked me out of doing that? They all did. Because it was not going to be an easy just knock the wall down and expand, you know, side by side. Going up was going to be a major problem. So Back I changed my mind, sold it, and bought something else. Still on? No, stop. Oh, no absolutely way. Absolutely not. I thought it was like a era thing. How seventies of you? My God, <laughs> terrible. Get rid of them. All right, inspections and cor- and and correction of work. Damages or adverse uh, effect caused by the work. Indemnification by the shareholder. Very important. Shareholder to take financial responsibility for any claims against the building for any damages. So if your contractor damages anything in the construction process, guess who pays for it? You do or your insurance does. Shareholder to comply with applicable laws and requirements of liability, casual and other insurance carried by the shareholder. Shareholder to bear all costs associated with the work. Even if there are cost overruns, because as Phil said before, you know, if you if you put a three-month timeline on this and all of a sudden the building says, well, now you're, you're past that, you're going to pay a penalty every day, every week, every month that you go past that timeline, be prepared for that. I don't know any renovation that I've done or anybody else has done where there hasn't been cost overruns. I mean, it's just part of the deal. And when you tell buyers or buyers come to you and say, I don't understand why this is costing me X amount of dollars more than I was told – well, get with the program, okay? Because that's what happens. That's what happens. This is also a really good reason why to have good homeowner's insurance. To my clients who are combining apartments at the Alden on Central Park West, I really, really advocated for them to get Chubb. I think what Chubb's building is amazing. That? The yeah, 225. Oh, oh, yeah. Right, right. Oh, my God, that building, yeah. They, they got Chubb last minute, even though they were like travelers' clients and. Their contractor left something on overnight, and they had a huge fire yep. a few weeks ago. Yep. And the building really fined them for not fined them, but like had major penalties financially. And Chubb paid for it all. I mean, can you imagine just creating 10%. a massive fire? I mean, that's just Chubb, Chubb is paying you ten percent. <laughs> Thinking about the Allstate commercial on TV all the time, where the pre- people the crash the car and say whatever. It's like okay. Good plug. <laughs> anyway, that's it for today. We're out of time. Can I say something quickly? Go, go, go. Happy birthday, Jay Overby. Happy birthday, Jay Overby. We love you. <laughs> Thanks to my guests and panelists. Always, always remember how wonderful life is while you are in this world. Elton John and Bernie Taupin, responsible for that. Be kind to one another. For all of us at Voice America all around the world, thanks for joining us today. We will see you next week. Goodbye, everybody. Thanks for tuning in this week. 
Please join us for another edition of Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco next Tuesday at 9 a.m. Eastern Time, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Here's hoping all of your transactions are successful ones.